This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. You're listening to the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast, where when you can't be in the outdoors, we bring it to you. Ladies and gentlemen, we have got a guest that I have had wanted to have on the podcast for quite some time. You might know him as Catman, Jonathan Bohm. Dude, I, I appreciate you braving a winter storm to uh, chat with us this evening. Oh, not a problem at all. I'm staying nice and cozy here here at home. It, it seems like half the country's lost power. Are you are you wood wood stove burning right now? No, I wish I had a wood stove for the shop, anyways, but. No, we we got electricity. We're we're doing all right. Just a lot of snow everywhere, except, except they got the main roads cleared up. So uh, I can't complain. Yeah, a couple of days off, I'm sure, but it wasn't like it landed during a tur- a deer or turkey season. So probably probably dang sure ain't fishing. So yeah, I wish it happened during deer season. I was thinking that today, walking <laughs> through the woods, I tried to pick up a rabbit, and, and uh, there's deer tracks and rabbit and squirrel tracks everywhere and i was thinking dang i wish this would happen during deer season i'd love to track one down <laughs> shoot it in this bed and then blood track it in the snow dude i mean I, I i don't know about you but i grew up reading the old field and stream articles and the idea of blood well first off tracking like cutting a deer's tracks and then like creeping through the woods to get to, to sneak up on it and then blood tracking in the snow that is just like a it could be a spike buck i wouldn't give a darn I would do it in a heartbeat. Yeah. I actually did several years back. Um, we had a snow come after season, and I had jumped. I was just walking around the woods, and I had jumped a herd of deer and decided to follow their tracks. And I kept following. They went cut through a little field, cut across a road into another block of woods, and started to make a big loop kind of sort of coming back around towards where they originally were bedded and uh they hadn't crossed the road a second time when i found them i i was just easing through the woods and saw a whole herd of deer up ahead of me 
and they eventually saw me and ran back across the road and went almost back to where I had jumped him from. Yeah, I think I want, I have this this working theory that like no matter how bad the shot is, if you shoot one in the snow, like you're always going to be able to like blood track it or at least just track it, right? Like you're always going to be able to know what direction it went because the tiniest little speck of blood is going to stick out like a sore thumb. It doesn't get lost with all the leaf matter and stuff. Oh, yeah. You know, we had a snow right at the end of season a few years back, and I was so excited I wanted to blood track one in the snow. And uh, this was when I first bought my 308. So I went to an open uh, cut cornfield because it got really cold and the hunting pressure died off, so I figured the deer would be coming out into those fields and sure enough there's like five or six does right before dark and one of the one that gave gave me the best shot was like kind of facing me so i just took the front on shot and uh she dropped in her tracks and didn't leave a blood trail oh no (laughs) (laughs) just left like a blood spot (laughs) a blood stain so that was my snow deer (laughs) what was was it easy to track her (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah it was easiest tracking job you yeah. could ask for just kind of walked up to her that's right yeah uh, oh man i had a similar thing happen uh this year in mississippi it never snows down there the first day i go to hunt we get like four or five inches of snow that morning like while i'm in the tree it's it's stacking up getting thick everything turned white it's beautiful really then uh like six or seven piglets come in I didn't see a deer that morning, but I shot a pig, and it I basically just pinned it to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I remember that. And and did you miss the second one? I shot at two others the, uh, was it that afternoon? Right. Yeah, it was that afternoon I, I shot at two others and, and made bad shots and decided not to hunt the next morning. Cause I wasn't really getting into deer that that's some different country down there. It, mm-hmm. it would take at least a week or two, I, at least two weeks, I would say to really start to kind of figure it out a little bit. How so? Kind of tell me why I'm curious. What's that? I, I'm a little curious. Why? What, what would, what, where's the challenge for you there? Um, the deer down there in those swamps don't pattern like the deer I'm used to hunting that actually have like steeper terrain or fence rows or, you know, field edges. And there were some fields down there, but something about the swamp deer, you get such a big piece of flat open woods. I mean, you can, you can, you know, you can go to edges of swamps and stuff. There's certain edges you can concentrate on, but the deer's not going to use that edge every day. They're going to be like, a quarter mile away the next day, they don't have any kind of predictable pattern. They just kind of wander around the woods, seems like, anyway. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's <laughs> pretty so you true. Can, you, can find, <laughs> you can find subtle terrain features and habitat edges, like where it goes from thick to open. You can find the edges, but and you can find the deer sign and the hog sign, but they're not going to be on a pattern using that same edge all the time. They're just going to wander around the woods and... I think I could maybe figure it out a little better if I took a solid two weeks or more and just hunted it every day. Oh, for sure. Yeah, we had a we had a guest on recently, Jake Bush, and and uh, he was he was ch- uh, taking on some um, 
some some real like flat terrains. I think it was somewhere up in Michigan or something like that where all the habitat was real swampy. And he's like, you know, it just doesn't make sense. It's all thick. It's all transition. Like, you know, it just it, it you know, and he's just kind of picking our brain. And uh, one of the things that we, we picked up on is that, you know, they have a lot of bedding areas, but there's always some like natural biological reason why they prefer one of them. And it's kind of, you know, subject to change, right? Like one tree, one preferred feed tree suddenly stops and, and, you know, where you had daylight activity every day for the last three weeks, suddenly you may get like one photo of a deer for, you know, weeks on end. Um, it, yeah. It's, there and there were, was tons of acorns. Uh-huh. Down where we were hunting too, they had food everywhere. In fact, they were still dropping out of the trees in mid-January. So, did, were you able? Did you see a pattern where preferred food trees in those swamps tend to to stick out to you? Um, what do you mean stick out? Well, like so, uh, we find a lot of times here whenever there's acorns, it's it's just like boon or bust, and you'll find some tracks everywhere. But it seems like even when those, you know a hundred trees that are all the same, all water oaks, all swamp laurel oaks, something like that, that they'll still be that preferred tree that they, they pick in the middle. Did you, did you see any of that, uh, there? Yeah, there was a couple that had, um, that actually my buddy Lee that I was staying with, he, he had pointed me in the direction of a couple that he said had a bunch of sign and they did have a bunch of tracks. But when I hunted them, well, I shot that little pig that first morning over one of them, but I couldn't see the tracks or the acorns cause it was covered in snow. But then that evening I went to another tree he had found and hadn't hunted. He had just found it on his way back into the swamp. And, and, um, so I decided to hunt that tree cause it was a, it was a real easy walk and he hadn't hunted it yet. He just mentioned that he found it. So I go, it's a nut all oak and there's acorns all over the ground. Some were still up in the trees and there was tracks all over. And I saw a deer about, um, I don't know, 80 yards out that evening but nothing came in to feed and the one deer I saw looked, was a doe looked like she was being chased by something that I never <laughs> saw what chased her. So it's like, I mean, yeah, they have preferred trees, but there's so like so many oaks down yeah. there that, and a lot of them, I mean, they're not all dropping every year, of course, but there's enough of them that you really got to cover some serious ground yep. to find the preferred trees and they're still going to move their, their preference can change you know by the day they can be like all right we're done with this tree we're going to go over here and eat on this tree now for sure yeah no i'm seeing a lot of that and um especially in these swamp habitats down here we had mr womack on the show not too long back and he was connecting some dots and and made some real pointed comments that that you know i hadn't really considered some things and as as i go back and kind of like mentally reflect um on past years i've I've noticed feed trees that you know stood out to me areas or even like you know entire groves of trees that have stood out in the past and i think uh i think that has to be the key because my one of my one there's a piece of property down the road like literally five minutes from my house it is the most pristine habitat i mean it just looks like it's deer in turkey central and but the deer are just there are no the, the acorns just never fall on this piece of property. I've been here for three years. I have yet to see any of the oaks hold. Um, even the, you know, the red oaks and the, and the swamp laurel oaks that seem to always produce something every year. There just, there isn't anything. And so as a result, it's just That's a, weird. It, it is, man. It's, <laughs> I, I told my buddy, it's almost like there's a blight in that area. I, I'm sure there isn't, 
but it just feels like there's a blight in that area because three years solid, and I have seen maybe one year that some of the red oaks kind of dropped. They were, um, I don't know what you'd call them, but they were just a like a like a turkey oak or something. They had some some you know very light crop last year, but nothing, man. And I just keep waiting because. The area is ready, man. <laughs> you know, like it's got a little bit of terrain to it. Some, you know, like 20 to 30 foot elevation changes as some creeks cut off. And uh, if it ever holds acorns, it's going to be, you know, loaded with deer. Oh, I bet. You say 20 to 30 foot elevation. Is that like a big hill for you? Oh, yeah, dude. That's a mountain here. I mean, it's. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> I like I like hunting the, the, the swamp. I love hunting the swamp as a place to visit and, and have a, a good, like a different challenge. Uh-huh. And there, the swamp's always full of critters, but the hills are my home. Like I, I couldn't deal with it all season long. Maybe I could, but I'd, I'd be, I'd be homesick if I had to live <laughs> away from the hills. <laughs> well, I'll be honest with you. I, I don't, I don't much care for how flat in some, some of these areas can be. It really, it wears on you because honestly you end up with some really weird thermals that occur. Um, you know, and I'm sure you, you saw that when you, when you went to Mississippi, but it's just one of those things where it's like, you can't, you can't use thermals to your advantage. Like you normally would. Sometimes you can rely on the creeks and the, and the rivers to kind of draw things down. But you know, the, the wind never really picks a direction because there's nothing really to force it to. And so it, it, it kind of further complicates it here too. Oh really? We have that anytime you get in even the smaller creek bottoms where it's it's you know not I'm not speaking in hill country but sure. rolling terrain where you've got an area that's flat, you know. It's usually a creek drainage or something that's the flat areas around here. And anytime I hunt a flat area whether it's open or or thick, it, it the wind switches direction all the time. Except uh, you get the odd days where it just blows consistent, but then you get days where it blows mostly opposite of what is forecast and, and then switches around every five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> the, thing I've, the thing I've learned with that this past season is that um, if it switches for 30 seconds to a minute, but then it mainly blows out of another direction, uh-huh. that, that little swirl there, as long as you're not right up on the deer where they're bedded that little swirl's not going to carry your scent that far the wrong way you know sure yeah i i i I could see that that makes good logic so you're saying if it just you know kind of almost has a backflow effect for a moment and then the but the the general you know a general northwest but every once in a while it swirls a little bit you don't need to get too hung up on it no and i see that in my backyard which is not flat it's actually a bit of a drainage coming off uh between two ridges and so when the wind is coming over those ridges, it always swirls. And the hillside on the one ridge is all cedar thicket. And cedar trees will really mess with the wind, make it swirl real bad. And so will that terrain. Mm-hmm. So down this drainage here, if it's a sunny day with no wind and the sun is setting, the thermal the thermals pull straight down, straight down the drainage out towards the towards the open field. And I mean, that's, that's when it's predictable, but if you got any kind of breeze, especially if it's coming over the ridge, it, it swirls every which way. But I was hunting late gun season and I had, um, I had like three or four, no, it was three deer. It was like a button buck, a little tiny spike and a, and a, uh, 
broken rack buck. And there was times when the wind was like real sketchy and they never smelled me. I had that one button buck get up to like five yards from me before they finally spooked. And they didn't even spook that bad because they didn't even, they never smelled me. Mm-hmm. But the wind was swirling like crazy then. For sure. I think, I think I've also started to combat it by getting us, getting a, a bit higher when I have the opportunity. If you got some good trees to get up even higher, probably combining the idea oh, that, yeah. you know, like what you just said about, you know, it, it kind of cleans itself out as it is. If you stayed up higher, then maybe it's not falling and hitting the ground quite as much. Cause that's one of the things I did this past mm-hmm. year, uh, on like a real hard, harsh pine oak transition line in a swamp bottom where the thermals were pulling down in there. Once I got up a little bit, the wind, and I don't know this to be scientific fact, but the wind just seemed to carry over the top of the swamp instead of, you know, actually like falling down between the leaves. I don't know if that's a real thing or not, but. I've had it. I've had that in uh, creek bottoms where I Uh get up a tree high enough and and don't get, don't seem to get winded as much. It's like, if you're, it just depends on the conditions, but sometimes that scent just being up 20 feet or so will keep your scent up over the deer's head a lot, a lot better than of course, if you were sitting on the ground, that's, for me, the biggest challenge of deer hunting on the ground is is having that right wind, which sometimes it works out perfect, and sometimes it's real sketchy trying to even get a good wind to sit at ground level. It is, and yet that's something I see you do a lot of, and, and uh, if I'm being honest with myself, you you kind of encouraged me through the previous seasons to start hunting from the ground a little bit more because – uh, there's a lot of overlooked areas in this area, and, you know, I probably, this probably holds true for most people, but it feels like there were a lot of overlooked areas that you couldn't easily hunt with a tree stand, um, and I saw you have a lot of success doing it. What, what, did you start out hunting from the ground, or was that something you moved to from a need to be mobile? No, uh, 2011 is when I killed my first deer, and I did not have a tree stand that year. I killed one deer, and, um, lost another one that's another story but um <laughs> opening morning rifle season november 19th 2011 is when i killed my first deer and a friend of mine had told me about a spot that he used to hunt so i just checked it out you know and sat under this big sugar maple and this little spike comes in on the trail of a doe you know with his nose to the ground i never saw the doe it wasn't a fresh trail but he came in with his nose on the ground and looked up at me. I heard him behind me and turned around and he looked up at me five yards behind me and then put his nose back down and came down the trail to my left. And I heart shot him at eight yards with a 30, 30. I could see the bullet hole. I was sitting on the ground under this maple tree and I can still see that in my head. It like to this day, whenever I think of it, I could see like, cause it was like high speed, but I can see like a freeze frame of it in my head. <laughs> when I shot and he took off full speed and then he ran down across this Creek and disappeared behind some brush. And I just heard crashing in the brush that he piled up like right across the Creek. And ever since then, I've always favored killing a deer by a Creek just for the fact that I can gut him by the Creek and wash my knife <laughs> off and wash the blood off my hands. <laughs> uh, that's clever, man. Yeah. That's, that's cool. So I got my first kill from the ground this past year and that 
you know, people talk all the time, you know, bow gives me this rush, gun gives me this rush. Sitting on the ground and getting a deer within close range, man, that is, uh, that's another level of amped. Oh, I don't, oh my God. Yeah, dude, it's, he, I killed him, I, I, I set up on this little knoll, so I, I, I drive to middle Georgia a lot to hunt just because the hunting is so much better there, and there's like these rolling areas and there's this small little lake that's up there that I hunt the edge of. And I set up on this little knoll. Um, it was kind of a throwaway hunt. I really, I knew there was good sign in the area. The rut should have been picking up. Um, but I had just gotten over, uh, COVID. And so I was just drained and I was just happy to be like outside. It was one of those where I'm like texting people and taking selfies and I'm just sitting there, man. It was a beautiful day. The wind was in my face and I'm just overlooking this big open area. I think area. I saw, I think I saw all your selfies. Yeah. <laughs> you probably did. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. And, uh, I was in the wide open, dude. I mean, I'm just sitting like right there in the wide open and he went from 90 something yards all the way to 40 facing me. And I thought my heart was going to come out my nose, dude. I was just, I, I, I started having this panic like that any, at any point in time, he's going to look up, throw the deuces and just like haul tail out of there, you know? And, uh, you know, yeah, he didn't, but <laughs> no, I know I saw, I saw that deer when, and you know, I don't remember if I had, had uh, commented on it or not, but if I didn't, then congratulations. Because that was, I remember being happy for you because you'd been sick for a while and then go out there and kill a buck like that. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Thank you, man. Thank you. That was definitely the, but, um, uh, an awesome trip. Yeah, I could tell. I could see. I mean, you just were posting it on social media, <laughs> but I could tell the excitement. <laughs> like, I, like, and and this was after our season closed, I think. Like I was already getting my mind off a of deer, and then I saw you kill the buck, and I was like, "Shoot, yeah, that's awesome!" <laughs> yeah, well, season goes a little later. Technically, it's still open right now. Hmm. Don't give me any ideas. Hey, that this was a subtle invite. Got me antsy. Uh huh. That was a subtle invite. Technically speaking, we can chase deer uh, till the end of February in my zone, and it just so mm. happens those are pretty good quality deer and it's also the rut right now hey you should have said that three days ago because i've been out of work the past three days because the snowstorm <laughs> hey man you've been doing I'd work on them starlings the you weren't leaving <laughs> well i could have left but yeah i did some work on those starlings <laughs> we're we're gonna put together a deer camp so uh I, I'm, I'm inviting a select few uh to come down um Large, largely just because most people's seasons are already closed and it's just it's kind of like bonus hunting i think it costs maybe 140 bucks for a 10-day license um that's not bad at all i could be wrong so like don't hold my feet to the fire but i'm, I'm pretty certain it's about 150 bucks and you get five buck tags and uh it's rifle five? you get five buck tags good lord well so i come down there and shoot five spikes <laughs> no, <laughs> well, there's there's antler restrictions. You have to have like so many points on one side and stuff. But uh, it used to be yeah. it used to be you could shoot two deer a day. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. But bucks only. So our, uh, that, yeah, it's <laughs> it's it. Flor, Florida's trying real hard to get their stuff under wraps, but it's taken them a long time. Um, but yeah, it's uh, so my zone. I'm in zone D, so I'm right here on the Panhandle, and. The best part of my rut here kicks off like early January and it ends mid February, and so 
I have the benefit of traveling and going places and, and chasing the rut in Georgia and, and, uh, you know, maybe one day, you know, you know, Midwest or Kentucky or something, and, and then come back and still have my best hunting. And it happens to also be some of the bigger deer hunting in the area as well. So that's interesting. See, I always, I always say, you know, after Tennessee closes, I'm going to go like for one year it was Alabama. And then last two years was Mississippi. But, uh, I do that and realize that, Hey, I'm getting burned out. I really want to go fishing or do something else, you know? And, and like, I could keep going now I'm full Turkey mode. It's too late now. But, um, I mean, you did give me a little idea there saying season was still open, but, but I'm, I'm on Turkey mode now. I'm just like waiting for the snow to melt and doing scat, doing some scouting, learn some new ground, get some exercise, get ready to climb those hills. And then, and then I'm going to get back into some fishing here pretty soon. But, uh, I, I've always wanted to go down and spend, you know, like the month of January down towards Alabama or Mississippi, uh, even if it was just weekend trips or something and, and like, cause Alabama's got a pretty good rut map. I'd have to dig for it to find it, but their rut, they have their rut timings are all over the place and they got different, you know, early November to late January. Like I could find some areas that are, that have a later rut and hunt those through January. But, uh, I just, I usually burn out about that time. I usually burn out and say, screw it. I'm not, I'm not going to go down there. I've already killed a, a few deer. I'm I've hunted, you know, all season long. It's it's a long season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I start in mid September. So, <laughs> it, well, if you include the velvet hunt, I I hunt a little bit in late August, but the season season wise, I start by hunting in mid September and go through early January in Tennessee. So the the earliest zone in Florida opens up at the end of July. And uh, that's down in South Florida. You can hunt. You could chase the rut from July when they open it up down there in the Everglades. They are actively rutting. Uh, you could chase the rut in Florida from January all the way to the end of February in the state, of, or from July to the end of February in the state. Um, I just wouldn't the meat spoil before the deer crashed. <laughs> pretty much, dude. <laughs> it's pretty bad. I mean, the, the camo companies. I in bet the, that's. Go ahead. I bet that's miserable, but fun. Like, it sounds like something I should do once in my life. That's what I'm thinking, yeah. <laughs> I, I've got this weird dream of, like, killing a buck in every one of the four zones and then just, like, hunting somewhere else the rest of my life. <laughs> you yeah. know? Like, go to the yeah, Everglades and go. Fight, fight the pythons for one season, kill a deer down there, and then just move on. Yeah. <laughs> I've got kind of a similar idea. I'd like to... I like going to, you know, two, three different states if I can in a year, like between deer and turkey. Uh, I guess work, schedule, and vacation time kind of of limits my trips out of state, but um, I'd like to hunt more and more of my own home state every year just because we got so much different terrain and habitat and pieces of public land ranging from like less than a hundred acres to like a hundred thousand acres from the Mississippi river to the North Carolina border. We got public land all across the state. So I, I kind of like to explore and and find out new places. And, and there's a wide variety of quality of hunting too, like hunting pressure and amount of, you know, game varies quite a bit. So like 
it's it's kind of a challenge, you know, picking out spots to go. But there's so much, so many cool places out there that I could spend most of my time just hunting my home state and just making a few trips out of state for you know just for extra opportunity, I guess. Yeah. So so what are your turkey plans for this spring? How many states are you gonna hit? Um, three for sure. Uh, but I mean, other than that, nothing's planned. I could possibly make a trip to another state. It we'll just have to see how it goes. I got you. So I'll start, I'll start in Alabama cause it's a short drive and it opens earlier. And then I'll hunt Tennessee until I tag out, which I hopefully do. They, they cut the limit down to three this year so i should be able to tag out hopefully um i haven't killed less than three in a spring season since my first year which was 2011 i killed one and then i tagged out the limit was four every year i've ever hunted and this year's the first time it'll be three since i started hunting so with the limit being four there was i think two years where i only killed three in tennessee um so with the limit being three, I think I'll tag out and then go on. You know, the, depending on how early I tag out, I'll go. Like last year, I went back down to Alabama because I spent so much money on the license. I wanted to go hunt Alabama and try to kill another bird after I tag out in Tennessee. And I was on birds. I was on gobblers the whole time. I think there were six different birds that I had seen or heard or both. And they were not in the mood to play the game. They were just the most uncooperative, uninterested turkeys I've ever hunted. <laughs> Honestly, I could have killed one if I had sat 100 yards from the truck all day long. And I was not about to do that. That's just not turkey hunt. That's not fun for me when I'm turkey hunting. I want to go find one that wants to come in looking for a call. Yeah. And I did have one that came in. One day I had one that came in quiet, and I could have killed it, but I wasn't ready. I thought I heard something coming, wasn't sure, so I didn't get my gun up in time. And by the time I saw him, he saw me <laughs> dip. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, th- those are some those are some interesting birds down there. They're a little bit different, like than than what I'm used to hunting. Parker, it, it, what you just said seems to align with everything Parker McDonald has has told me about Alabama birds, and I I, I think yeah. I think everybody says that their birds are, are the toughest birds to hunt, and, you know, maybe they are. I don't know. But it seems like the people who go to Alabama come back changed with their opinion. Yeah. Um, I've heard the same thing about um, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And I guess um, I've heard that about Florida with Osceola's. But, sure. I mean – they, there's so many people from what I hear I haven't hunted Osceola's yet I'm not out trying to get my slam but I'd like to someday but there's so many people trying to get that Osceola bird that there's only one state and you can't they're not even in the whole state so there's so many more people down there fighting for the same birds so I've heard that's pretty tough it is and their demeanor from what I've been told I've I've yet to hunt them myself but um, I drew an Osceola tag this spring for this spring so we're gonna if I don't so you only get two tags in Florida, and last year was my first serious year chasing turkeys, and I, I have told everybody, including Chase, uh, I am not committing to not killing two birds before <laughs> before that Osceola hunt. They might both be Easterns, but uh, 
you know, two if I if I go on two hunts and two toms come come str- you know strolling in like the man, they're you know I'm just gonna have to shoot Osceola's another day because that you know I'm mainly a weekend warrior. I'm not gonna pass that opportunity up. You know. Yeah, it's I. Yeah, I'm not one to let a turkey walk. If, <laughs> if I'm gonna let a turkey walk, then then uh, something's wrong. I need then maybe I need to hunt somewhere else. You know. <laughs> I yeah. mean. I'll let a Jake walk. I, I killed I killed a Jake last year because I just saw his head and he sounded like a mature Tom, so I shot him. But normally I won't intentionally shoot one. I I did a it's probably three years ago now that I shot one on purpose because I I was struggling. I got halfway through the season hadn't killed one yet, and me and a buddy saw a bunch of Jakes in this field that we were hunting, and we're like, you know what? If we can get him into range, I'm gonna shoot one. So normally I let a Jake walk every day, but but um, yeah, no. If a big old gobbler comes in, I'm not passing him up. I'm sorry, <laughs> unless I'm filming for somebody else and they're yeah. trying to kill one. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I I killed two times last year, and I would have shot a Jake gladly last year. I just well, you know, I say that I shot my first time, which was a really good bird the first time. And then, like, a week later, I, I have a turkey journal, and I was t- this morning I was flipping through all the different notes that I made, and a week later I had a I had a Jake walk out, strut for a while, and then just f- walk back off, and I wrote at the bottom, lesson learned, shoot Jake's, because I immediately felt like, <laughs> I felt like I had shortchanged myself because I didn't want to shoot a Jake because I'd already shot a Tom, but then two days later I, I ended yeah. up killing my second Tom, so I didn't. You know, I didn't feel too terribly bad, but my 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 turkey hunting mentor sent me this message earlier today because we were talking about this because you know I'm going down to hunt Osceola's and I'm worried about shooting a Jake and getting roasted online for it and everything. And so I'm asking him like, you know, I'm looking at the fan obviously, but the head does the head color change? And you know, again, everybody who's listening knows I'm a rookie at this. And he said, listen, if he walks in wearing a grown man's shoes with a grown man's attitude, meet him where he stands and show him a grown man. A grown man load of turkey. You know, it's like... (laughs) I I can completely understand that. That Jake I killed last year, he he didn't gobble on the roost. I was listening to birds a little ways off and um, in different directions. I had multiple birds I could have gone after, and I was fixing to, and then I got a gobble straight down the ridge from me. And I was on top of a knoll. And there was it went down into a little saddle and up up onto the rest of the ridge, you know, going going off towards the property line. So this bird gobbles right across the property line somewhere, and he's on my ridge, and he's close, and it's a big, big deep gobble. I was like, oh my gosh, he's right here. I didn't even know there was a bird that close, and so I get <laughs> set up, and um, he gobbles once more, and then I hear footsteps. And I get my gun pointed over the edge of the ridge because like, I was on top and it dropped off. And I get my gun pointed basically into the sunrise and this big red head pops up and looks right at me and I blasted him and he flopped all the way down to the bottom of the holler, which was, it was probably about a 250 foot elevation change on that ridge. If I remember right. And he flopped all the way down. I slid. <laughs> I didn't walk down to him. I slid down to him. And but when I was when I started, you know, I went over the edge to look at him, and I was filming. And he went flopping. You know, he was just like rolling, tumbleweeding down, <laughs> down the hill. 
and I saw his fans play out, and he was a Jake fan. I was, I was like, are you kidding me? That bird, he was with another Jake, too, and when I shot, the other Jake took off flying, and I saw his fan, and I saw, I was like, oh, I shot the gobbler with a Jake. I'm glad I didn't shoot the Jake, but the other one that I shot was also a Jake. It was two Jakes. <laughs> but, I mean, that was still one of my favorite hunts. So, I, I mean, like like you said, if he's wearing a grown man's shoes. Yeah. Well, I mean, if it gets you, if it gets your blood pumping, I mean, that it, that's kind of the root of hunting, right? Like if, if, if it gets you, if it gets your gears cranking, I mean, you should have fun doing it. I'm like I said, I, I'm not, it's set- all about enjoying it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, I think that's one of the reasons why I like turkey hunting so much is because the community tends to be a little more um, encouraging. That's the word I'll use. They tend to be a little more encouraging. You know, they're not going to give you any secrets, you know, that their their turkeys, good turkey hunting is a, is a scarce commodity. But at the same time, it, it seems mm-hmm. to be everybody just kind of gives you a pat on the back if you're happy about it. You know, you, you're proud of what you did. Yeah. Well, good job, buddy. You said it. You said it a few minutes ago about getting bashed on the internet. I don't even care what anyone says. If I pulled the trigger, I wanted to shoot that bird. <laughs> There's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah, that's true. Yeah, uh, I'm not out here poaching somebody else's birds. I'm going out and hunting, following the rules and, and shooting what I want to. And most of the time, it's I don't want to shoot a Jake. I mean, I've passed many Jakes where I I knew I'd regret it if I pulled the trigger. And I've been tempted just about every time a Jake is really close and gives me a perfect shot. I always think about it. But I, I think about, you know, do I want to burn my tag on this bird? And I, most of the time I say, no, I'll let that one walk. Maybe I'll kill him next year. But every now and again, you know, if he if he acts like a big old gobbler or if I've just been having a terrible season and I'm going to kill a turkey and fry some turkey nuggets that evening, then and if, it's a, if it's a legal bird, sometimes I'll just shoot what I get the shot at. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. Yeah, you know, I, I like sharing everything that I do. So, you know, I, that's why I try and tote the camera and stuff. So, like, when I said I'm worried about getting bashed, you know, it's like, you know, I don't know. I was navigating my way through what is what makes an you know uh I don't want to say an ethical turkey hunter but what 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 is like that 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 middle road that everybody can agree to you know like that that's all acceptable and it seemed like the majority of people were like don't shoot jakes I'm like okay cool I won't shoot jakes and so that was kind of like what what I was getting at there but um are you oh, do, yeah. do you identify as a turkey hunter that that chases deer or a deer hunter that chases turkey Yes. <laughs> so I, you like both of them I, equally, huh? You're not the first person to ask that. And if, if you held a gun to my head and said, hey, you can only hunt deer or only hunt turkey or I'll shoot you, then I'd just say pull the trigger. Cause, like, <laughs> I can't choose. I would I would slightly lean towards turkey. That's Turkeys are what got me into hunting. That's what sparked my interest. But you get, you know... If you go hunt different states, you can get three, maybe three months out of turkey season. But if you go to different states, you can get like four months out of deer season. And if mm-hmm. I hunt my home state, I get six weeks of turkey season, so a month and a half. And if I hunt my home state, I get like three months of deer season with a bow, muzzleloader, and rifle. And uh, deer's got a lot more meat, and they're a lot smarter than turkeys. But hunting them is not as fun. So, I mean... It's 
I couldn't I couldn't decide. I, I like it both equally. If I had to choose, I mean, I've never I've always said I, I couldn't choose, but I do have a slight preference for turkey hunting. I guess. Yeah, it, I'm with you. I, I if you put a gun to my head and said you had to pick one, I'd pick turkey. But I would die the first time the wind shifted in the trees and you could just hear fall when, coming. You get that I, smell when, you, when it smells like September. Yes. Yes. When the, when the first few trees start to drop a couple leaves, mm-hmm. it's real dry out, and you you smell that sweet smell of fresh dropped leaves. Yep. Yeah. And then that cool that cool breeze. And then what does it for me every time is when the crickets come out. Yes. Yep. And I, yeah, I, it would kill me. That's why I couldn't choose. Yeah. Because during turkey season, I'd be like, oh, thank God I, I chose turkey. And then <laughs> when it, that first cool breeze came around and I could smell fall in the air and heard crickets chirping, then I'd be I'd be done. I couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah, no, I'd, I'd be aching just as just as quickly as I was going, oh, well, turkey, with such certainty, I'd, I'd turn around and come – early September and be like, Oh my God, you idiot. What were you doing? Cause you know, I just, mm-hmm. I, I would die. Now I think for me, I don't know if you've gone out West yet, but for me, the perfect combination would be like chasing elk from September to October coming back and living a normal life until dirt, until Turkey season. Cause I think, I think if I went out West and I did that from September to October, I would be so utterly exhausted and malnourished. <laughs> that it would take me a couple months to get get back on my feet. Have you have you gone elk hunting yet? Not yet. I would like to, but hey, elk's a deer. So if you said no deer hunting, hey, let's say theoretically that means no elk hunting. That's no a good moose, point. no caribou. Let's Did... say no cervids, no no split toed <laughs> plant eating animals. <laughs> you could hunt hogs. Pronghorn. Hold on. Pronghorn aren't deer. I guess they're not goats. I've never hunted pronghorn sheep. either. I've never hunted anything out west. Yeah. Sheep? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, from what I hear, it's hard to get a lot of sheep tags. They, yeah, they're that's true. Pretty restrictive on you know. Whereas whitetail, they're everywhere in mm-hmm. people's backyards. I mean, it's not hard to get in get into some whitetail. <laughs> Which, if if deer hunting was as hard to get into as elk hunting, I mean, I, yeah. If, but if they were the same animal, but they were hard to get into, like elk, where you needed more land and mm-hmm. have less tags, then I would definitely it would be an easy choice to choose turkey. But sure, um, yeah, no, I can't, I can't really decide on that one. But definitely wouldn't give up turkey hunting. I'll say that. Yeah, yeah, no, I, you know, honestly, now that I've I've had this conversation, I'd probably just tell you to pull the trigger because I'd be I'd be sick as can be too. <laughs> I, yeah, I I live for yeah. turkey season. I. I, I all through deer season, you can ask Parker. I kept sending him messages like, "Dude, I really miss turkey season." I don't quite do that during turkey season for deer, and so like in that regard, nope. I feel like I'm living for turkey season. Yep. Now I I do get my mind off turkey some during deer season. I get in the zone, but do you? I mean, I always if, whenever I see turkeys, it always. <laughs> makes my day just seeing turkeys walk by when I'm deer hunting. Yeah, uh, I'm. I might not even be in the mood to turkey hunt, but I just love seeing them. And then when I'm turkey hunting and I see a bunch of deer, I'm like, please don't blow my heart, because <laughs> deer can smell, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and they blow. Yeah, yeah. And I, I feel like I see way more deer turkey hunting. Oh, I see quite a bit. Um, quite a bit of deer turkey hunting. 
Yeah. I, I, I I've seen... got like, go ahead. If I were to deer hunt some of the places that I've turkey hunted in Alabama, I know where I would start because of where I consistently mm-hmm. saw deer while I was turkey. Right. And then around home, I mean, if I'm the closer to home, the more likely I am to hunt it more often because it's less driving distance. But I mean, I, I'm more familiar with the area and I can tell, you know, like, where the deer are if i see them during turkey season it almost doesn't even matter to me because i I know where i'm i'm gonna look in the fall anyways that makes sense yeah what's what's the turkey hunting like in tennessee it is all over the map to be completely honest it could be some of the best hunting you've had and some of the worst hunting you've had depending on where you decide to drop a pin on the map sure and is that it's pretty i'd say it's pretty decent um across the board i looked at uh harvest data for uh last year which last year was a mm-hmm. much higher harvest because of covid so this may be a little bit skewed but by county per square mile by county harvest i, I found the average harvest for the whole state was one bird per square mile oh my gosh so is that what do you think that's good or bad I mean, it sounds excessive. <laughs> like, it sounds like a lot of birds were killed. <laughs> yeah, and there was a lot of birds killed. Yeah. I mean, that... that but that... there, I mean, the places I learned to hunt were full of turkey and still mm-hmm. kind of are. And, and uh, I mean, one bird per square mile is nothing where I... Some of the places I've seen. But then there's other areas that are not that far from me where you might not see one bird in a square mile. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... It less like I said, it varies. There's been some declines in some areas that can't be explained, and then some areas that just, I guess, don't have as many turkeys. But there's a lot of areas that have a decent huntable population. Do you feel so? Having hunted turkeys for as long as you have, do you feel like you kind of have your core areas locked down, and basically you just go and hunt those every year? And is that why you bounce from state to state, or do you find that? Uh, you still have to do a lot of hustling in between seasons for turkeys. Well, I like to hunt new areas just for the change of scenery and to learn some more ground. Like I had said earlier, like I like there's so much land to hunt. There's so much public land, and then there's so much private land that I could ask permission or or get to know someone who has land or something. And and I mean, there's all that opportunity out there. So I'm not dead set on hunting my like my stomping grounds every year or anything like that. But, but I do have areas that I know very well that I will go back and visit just because they're close to home. And I know, I know them better than most people. So like, I mean, it, it just depends on the day really. I, sometimes I might go out and drive a couple hours and hunt a new spot. And some days I might just hunt closer to home. Sure. That makes sense. I, I, I fight the, the tendency to find, you know, to kind of hunt the same place over and over again because it's got birds. Um, I'm fortunate in that there's yeah. only two tags to fill here. And so, like, I've got a Georgia license, so I'll be going up there where you can shoot three more birds. But um, And the season runs through the middle of May there, whereas ours ends in mid-April. So, um, but, you know, it's it's one of those things where I find it very difficult sometimes to leave birds to find birds. Um right like you you don't oh leave. definitely don't <laughs> if you know there's birds there 
if, yeah. if there's birds there that aren't constantly being harassed by other hunters, then stay with, don't leave birds to find birds. But sure. sometimes I'll, if the birds are being quiet or if there's been a lot of people in a certain area, I'll just pick up and move and be like, Hey, I'm going to go try this spot today. And, right. and sometimes I'll just get a wild hare and take off for a new area that I may have had in the back of my head or something. Or maybe I was looking through the hunting guide or looking through Onyx or something and, and came across a spot. I was like, hey, I'm going to go there tomorrow. And I'll get off work and go mm-hmm. hit the road and then spend a day out there. And and sometimes, I mean, sometimes it's a bust, but sometimes I'll randomly stumble into a spot that's pretty good. And that same thing goes for deer, mm-hmm. you know you like you you can only do so much cyber scouting sometimes you just gotta hit the road and be like screw it i'm gonna burn a day it might it might be a waste of a day it might be the best thing i ever found but i'm gonna go burn a day and try this new spot just because i like i like the change of scenery i like to learn more sure that's that is one thing that has happened for me when it after i went out to colorado and and the idea wasn't that you hung out in an area. It was that you just, you know, you were just constantly moving. It kind of shifted like my mental idea of how to use public lands. And so I find myself, especially as a whitetail hunter, bouncing just from area to area. The area I could be in could be pretty hot, but I just find this like urge with whitetails to just be like, you know what, I'm going to go just just check out that swamp and see what's up over there. And I just, I just start ambling around, which is one of the reasons why I gravitated to ground hunting because I'd sit there on the ground and there are just, there are times where your gut just tells you, and I'm sure you felt this, where it's like the deer are not moving here right now. Like it, sitting here is just, this is not the right setup. The birds are quiet or the it just, oh, yeah. you just know it. And so you just get up and kind of amble to another spot that looks good. And then you post up there for a little bit. And I found a lot of cool crap that way, dude. Oh, absolutely. And in this past deer season, I've, I've been doing this for a while, but this past deer season is a great example where I, uh, you know, I hunted a lot of my usual spots, but I also went out and just kind of did a little map scouting in areas that looked good, didn't know what the pressure was like. And, you know, I would go out and uh, this was muzzleloader going into gun season mainly is when I really started moving around. And I went out and, um, just started checking new spots out and part of the reason i did during gun season is because some of my local areas that i hunt get a ton of pressure during gun season and they have as long as i've been hunting uh we get a lot of guys from the eastern part of the state who live you know live around the mountains and want a little bit easier better deer hunting so a lot of guys come from east tennessee over to hunt some of our middle tennessee public ground and that combined with locals i mean the gun hunting pressure is always going to be higher than way higher than than bow hunting pressure so so what i did this past season what i've done past few seasons i guess is um pick a spot Uh, i might have to drive an hour hour and a half but pick a spot and uh go spend the day out there you know my my job gets pretty busy going into gun season, especially late season. So it was mainly weekends. I would go out and try a new spot, and I found I found a really good spot to go kill a deer this past season, where it was right by the truck, short, easy walk. You could just sit down, and I I shot um, two does in there, and I passed up a bunch of young bucks, and never saw a sign of another hunter. 
but there were signs of other people using the area, like people walking, riding four wheelers, fishing, but never saw another hunter in there. But then I found another spot that looked really good. Some of the best deer sign I saw all year. And I had hunters walk in on the, I ran into hunters. I hunted it twice and there was found multiple tree stands, a ground blind. And I saw hunters both times I was there. So you you just never know what you're going to find. You got to go out there and Mm -hmm. see what it's actually like you have to also be willing to like let go of certain areas, right? Like, so I think you could have seen all the deer sign you wanted to in the world, but found all that, all that area and, and still be able to walk, you know, find all that human sign and still be able to walk away. And sometimes you just don't find the deer sign you want to, and you kind of walk away. Do you find that in Tennessee, um, there are pockets of, of deer, or do you think that the, the deer are pretty well scattered all about? Well, Tennessee varies so much. You got the uh, coastal plains in West Tennessee and then Mississippi River bottoms. Most of West Tennessee is very flat. And then coming eastwards, you hit the Western Highland Rim, which is just steep hardwood and pine. There's a little bit of pine plantations, but mostly hardwood ridges and hollows. It's steep country. And then you come into the Nashville Basin, which is anywhere from flat to rolling hills to pockets of steep ridges and then keep going east you get back into the eastern highland rim because the highland rim goes around the nashville basin get back into those big steep hills and then keep going get to the plateau and get into some mountains and keep going eventually get to the smoky mountains so it we've got basically every type of terrain you could think of in the eastern united states within the state of tennessee so the deer populations, of course, are going to vary. And I'd say their lowest from everything I've heard is they're, they're the lowest in East Tennessee. And their doe, uh, re- the regulations on doe harvest reflect that. They're a lot more restrictive on how many does you can kill in, in the units in East Tennessee. We got several different units now. But they've also got, you know, one of the more restrictive units is uh, in parts of west tennessee along the mississippi river drainage because it floods so much so i'd say west tennessee middle tennessee across the board generally has a really good deer herd but you'll have pockets that don't have as many deer and you'll have pockets that are infested with deer you just gotta figure out where those are sure sure yeah we have a lot of that here as well where it's you know i think i think it's a little different here because the terrain um, it sounds a lot like East Tennessee where it's maybe a little bit more pocketed. Um, good habitat is kind of hard to find because we've, we've planted so much of it in endless rows of invasive pine trees or just, just not suitable habitat pine trees. And they're working to correct that. Yeah. But you, you have these huge, vast areas that it's just, you know, I, it, it, springtime there's, there's green browse, but there just isn't a whole lot for them to eat, you know? And so, uh, you're kind of constricted to these little swamp heads or we call them creek bottoms, yeah. but they're not really creeks. They're just drainage areas, you know? See, I haven't hunted in the mountains yet in East Tennessee. Uh, it's been on my bucket list. I've, I've got to pick and choose where I go every year and I just haven't done it yet. But um, in the mountains, it, like, or East Tennessee in general, we'll say from what I've heard the there's pockets with, good healthy deer populations but then there's big areas that are not so much that there's not many deer but you've got to climb like 1500 feet to get to where the deer are (laughs) and you got to deal with mountains i mean 
so it's not easy hunting so the deer are there but I've, I've heard that the age structure is good in the mountains there's a lot of big old bucks in the mountains but they're not going to be easy to get to no for sure I, I yeah i could i could see that being a challenge even though the topography probably plays to your advantage there though right because that kind of condenses their condenses their movement yeah. patterns to an to an extent maybe not perfectly but yeah hill country hill country definitely makes movement more predictable and, and even bedding and, and stuff like that you, you've got specific terrain features to look for but then the thing you run into is the smarter older deer bed in places where you really can't get to a spot to hunt them without them seeing you or hearing you come in or smelling you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the deer are smart. They use the terrain. You can use the terrain to your advantage, but they can also use the terrain to their advantage. So a lot of times you could be going to a good spot, but the deer knows you're there. Right. Yeah. 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 It's, 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 it's a double-edged sword. Whatever is, whatever condition it is that is favorable for the deer tends to be favorable or favorable for you tends to be favorable for the deer. Um, especially where land is kind of isolated. Um, and uh, that's the same here in the Highland Rim, where it's it's not mountains, but it's steep ridge country, where you got long ridges with some mm. secondary points or fingers coming off. And I mean, there's there's a management area not too far from me. I won't name it, but uh, someone told me this. This is something somebody told me, but he said that the uh, that the game warden or the area manager or somebody said that they did a thermal study on the deer like where they go out at night and and spot deer and said that the age structure on this particular wma was the best in the state and it's also one of the heaviest hunted wmas in at least in my area and it's nothing but ridges and hollows and and supposedly has some of the best structure age structure in older bucks but gets hunted to death and I would probably guess, I, I guess that probably most of those bucks die of old age because people just can't get to them. They're too slick. They got, they got those hills to their advantage. Boy, that sounds like a heck of a fun challenge though, doesn't it? Yeah. If I, if I had all the time in the world, I'd like to take a season to figure that spot out, but I just have never done it. Yeah. Man, that sounds like that sounds like the ultimate challenge. Like if you wanted to test your metal, go and 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 get on those deer and 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 see if you can't kill a big one. Because I bet you you could pull one out that looks like your logo. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, there's a lot of pieces of public around, you know, around Middle Tennessee, Middle to Eastern Tennessee that have the that same terrain. I was just saying i heard about this one sure. in particular yeah, yeah, that yeah. had a good age structure and and i believe it and I, i'll bet there's other areas that don't get talked about as much that have just the same quality of of older bucks but it's not like you're gonna walk in and shoot one unless you're just <laughs> one of those guys that has deer figured out like some guys just have a knack for going and getting in big bucks but for the average guy trying to figure out a deer like i'm not good at figuring out you know mature bucks have it so i don't see them very often and i mean they're they're some of the smartest animals i've hunted for sure yeah some people are just lucky too i got you know my co-host he, he wasn't able to make it tonight obviously but um he he uh that dude he just has a, a lucky horseshoe and when he gets a hot hand 
just let him bet all your money and and gamble. I mean, he's just he's he's awesome. I mean, he's talented as well, but it's just it's funny how yeah. some people you could just put them in the dark, spin them around blindfolded, take the blindfold off, and they're still going to find a way to kill something. Yep, yep. Right. I, I think we all know people like that, and it's not that they're. It's not some some people have spent their whole life getting that good, but some people just seem to be that good, and it's maybe it's just the way your brain works. Like some people are better geared to hunt, like hunt deer or whatever. They can they can figure out a deer's habits better without even thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they're just I know it people simple. say they just get lucky. You know, you <laughs> yeah. say they just get lucky. You know, they just walk in the woods and kill one. But when they keep doing that over and over again, something they're doing something yeah. different. Oh yeah, they see thing they see it a different way to to the point where you or me couldn't understand, but they've got something figured out and they just go in and, and find and kill a good one every year. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You start doing something consistent. I don't care how much luck you say is involved. You, you, you've, you're doing something right consistently. Right. You know I mean? Like there's, there's yep. something to be learned there. Um, and, and I'm poking fun at Chase. I can consistently he, kill those. I, I'll, I will say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, get me out of the state of Georgia or Florida and I can consistently get on. It, it blew my mind, dude. I, I struggled here for three almost four years on public land finally killed a doe two years ago last year i bought a non-resident tag for georgia which oh my god dude they raked me over the coals for that but man i don't know of too many hunts that i went on i didn't see deer you know i mean i yeah i pulled the trigger three times four times in the state of georgia it's just uh florida man it is at least this area right here i've near heard the house i've never tough. heard I've never heard anyone really say that it was easy to hunt in Florida. No. I'd like to, I got a whole big list of places I'd like to hunt. No telling when I'll make it down there. If, you, if you're wanting to do a camp next year, I might try to make something work. But um, Florida is one of those places I'd like to see just how tough it is. And I think, like, going back on what we were saying about trying new spots on the fly, just going in blind and, like, I'm going to check this area out today. Sometimes mm-hmm. it turns out to be a dynamite spot. I think going into a new area with a clean slate, with a with a fresh mind, without knowing what to expect, I think sometimes you do a little bit better that way. Sure. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. Like I've had spots that I've hunted many times over the years, and kind of gotten a mindset of where not to hunt because I had a couple bad hunts there where I didn't see anything, and. And so I get maybe like the wrong mindset about it just because I had a couple bad hunts in a, in a certain spot. Mm-hmm. But if you go into a new spot you've never been to, like if I went to Florida, I, it'd be like a clean slate. If I hit it right, I could maybe figure something out pretty quick, or I could just totally get schooled. But <laughs> I think I think the odds are in your favor if you just freshen, you know, freshen up your mind and, and try something different. And you'll learn, you'll at least learn something from it. Absolutely. I think, I think being successful in Florida is, um, a lot of eliminating areas and, and paying attention to very, very, very small, uh, patches of ground that, you know, seemed for some reason to be daylight active activity in those areas. And, and they're, they tend to be some of the most weird off the wall places, 
um, that you just have to like put in the sweat equity to figure it out. And I've deployed a lot of trail cameras doing these, what I call long soaks where I just leave the camera for months on end. And then I come back and I look at the data and say, okay, did anything, you know, did, did it, does anything stand out to me? And some of the areas I found, there's this, there's this cypress head, man. And, and there's a ridge on one side and I'm using that word very liberally here. Um, there's a ridge on one side and then it drops down into a slough. It, it might be three acres of, of cypress and it, or Tupelo rather drops down into that. And then it pops up on the other side of the ridge. And on both sides of that ridge, there are tree stands freaking everywhere, dude. Like it's Michigan level pressure. Like everything you hear about Michigan, just think about on this property. But then there's this I've faint, heard about Michigan. Yeah, it, there's this <laughs> faint trail that connects the two ridges that goes smack dab through waist deep water. And and one day when it was really dry, I walked back in there looking for turkeys. And there's this little like twelve hundred square foot patch of privet that on this little patch of high ground right there, and there were beds all through it. And I'm like, dude, I don't know how the heck I would hunt this. Right. Because, I mean, you'd have to I mean, it'd be unreal to get through that water, but it's clear whatever is, you know, using this little one distinct faint trail to get through these ridges. It's hanging out right here and it's probably getting old doing so, you know, so it's it's little weird things like that that you. you that's, know, that's like what what we got around here. We, I mean, our terrain's a little different and we got more ag fields and some of the public lands really broken up into smaller tracks. So that that's a whole other challenge. Mm-hmm, but privet. Mm-hmm. It's as as terribly invasive as it is. It's actually not that bad for deer. It's mm-hmm. it's tough for deer hunters because it gets so thick, and the deer are good at hiding in it. But not only can they bed in it for cover, but they also eat the crap out of it. And so, like, they don't have to leave a privet thicket if they want to. They could bed in it and eat privet. And and a lot of times we'll have scattered red oaks or something. And then there's other random mm-hmm. yep. patches of other other browse that's grown there. So like deer can live in privet thickets or briar thickets. And I mean, unless you're walking through, getting all scratched up, I mean, if you can't do that quietly, so they're gonna get up and sneak out the back door or whatever. They, I think, a lot of deer around here survive the pressure by two things, and that's privet thickets and property lines. Yeah, at least on on public ground or. Even on private ground, there's not a lot of really big tracks of private ground either. So I think property lines and privet thickets and briar thickets uh, save a lot of deer because we see a ton of deer hunting pressure during gun season. And every year there's it's like you go out in the summertime to the ag fields and they're just full of deer. It's like, how did all these deer survive last year? I can't believe how many deer people were shooting there. Yeah, opening morning and hear gunshots everywhere, and then there's people hunting there through Christmas. It's like, dang, these deer are getting hammered. And then the next year, there's still plenty of deer. It's like, dang, they really, there's enough of them that get away to reproduce and keep the herd healthy because of those invasive thickets of, of privet and whatever other invasive stuff is growing. River cane's another one, that, which is, is river cane's native, but it's another really dense cover that you can't sneak up on the deer because you can't walk through it quietly and they'll see you way before you see them for sure yeah i I think i wonder how many deer do you think you walk by in the woods that just don't move that are like 50 yards away or 100 yards away and so like people walk through the woods like i didn't see anything today and it's like man 10 deer saw you walk through the woods today 
Oh, it probably happens most time, depending on how far you walk. If you walk a good ways through the woods, I bet deer watch you every single time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I'll walk, sometimes I'll hunt 50, 100 yards from the truck. So maybe they don't see me because I'm just slipping in there quick. Mm-hmm. But if you got to walk a ways back, something's seeing you. I yeah. mean, you're making a presence. You don't realize how much of a presence you have in the woods. And and the younger deer are the are the dumber ones that are kind of get over it quick and go about their business. But the older deer are the ones that, you know, don't show face once they know you're there. Especially bucks. Uh, older does seem to vary a little bit more. There's Older does can still... They, they got a little bit of a weak weakness where they will make a scene if they see you or they'll get nosy, but older bucks will not get nosy. They'll, they'll just slip out. You'll never know they were there. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I I went and hunted uh, with Greg in southeast Georgia um, back in October last year, and I watched this doe and a button buck, big, big doe, and a button buck come uh, down the path and they cut off off the path, went down this area, and, the, and the, all these pine trees, they had cleared all these pine, like, like every, two out of every third rows, they had gone in and cleared. And so there's like nothing underneath all these trees. It was all fresh, but there was this one big uh, deadfall, and it really, it really wasn't a deadfall. It was a tree that just fell over and then started growing, you know, the, the, the branches started growing, you know, up towards the sky again. And she went behind oh, yeah. that and disappeared, and I didn't see her again. And so I got down and did my midday scouting, and I had to go get my buddy because he wasn't happy where he was. And so, so I said, well, I'm seeing deer over here, so come over here, and we'll, 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 we'll hunt this area. But when I got down and did my midday scouting, I rode right past 15 yards from that, that down tree. Well, flash, flash forward to that evening. It's at 40 minutes before the end of shooting line. I'm looking down the pine row to where that down tree is, and all of a sudden here come two deer, like right out from behind it again. Well, those two deer come out. It's the button buck and the doe. I shoot the doe. She runs straight back down that, that lane and cuts back by that bush. We found her underneath uh, that tree. She had wallowed out a space or her space had been wallowed out or whatever where she could bed underneath that thing. And when you got in there and looked out at deer, you know, just like a deer's you know, laying down height, she could see 360 degrees around her. She never left that thing. She let me ride my bike past her twice, dude, at 15 yards. Yeah, yeah, I don't doubt that at all. I, the oldest deer I ever killed, at least the only one I had aged by a lab, by the Wildlife Analytical Laboratories there, they do the cementum annuli aging the only reason I sent in the teeth for that, because I was like, this doe looked different. I've killed a couple that had really worn down teeth that I knew they were at least five and a half, probably a lot older. But then this one was worn that had worn down teeth and had the face of the llama. You may have seen the video. I think a lot of people saw that video. I shot her with my thirty thirty. She was bedded with two button bucks, which I thought were does, and I shot all three of them. So <laughs> that, was, that was my best button buck killing year for sure. I, this past season, I didn't kill a single one, so I'm proud of that. But um, anyway, uh, this doe had a funny look to her. She was bedded on a on an edge between uh, cedar and sage grass, like scrubby stuff, and mature pines. And the mature pines were, you know, like wide open, like mm-hmm. big mature pines. Mm-hmm. And and deer bed on that edge quite a bit, so that's where they were bedded. And they were bedded about 50 yards from my 
from my boat because I had to come in by water there was the best way to get in there. And I I had gone away from them initially. I was still hurting, so it took me an hour or two to circle around back to where I saw where I could see the deer bedded. And you know, I was luckily I was going slow enough where I saw the deer's head before she saw me. And uh, I mean, shoot, she was old enough; she probably couldn't see that good. But um, I got pine trees between me and the deer, and snuck closer. Eventually, got about forty, maybe about forty fifty yards from them. And the two button bucks, which I still thought were does at the time, got off the bed first, and I dropped one. And the other one, like, ran towards me, and the doe got off bed. She had her tail facing to me, and I didn't want to do a Texas heart shot. I wanted a clean kill. Mm -hmm. So she got off bed, but her tail was still facing towards me. And she was, like, looking around, had no idea what happened. And um, so I was getting my gun. I was, like, kind of slowly standing up and getting my gun braced on this pine tree, like when you're squirrel hunting and you put your gun up against a tree. <laughs> and she finally caught enough movement. I was making enough movement. She caught movement and looked straight at me. And then she took two steps and went dead broadside. And I, by that point, I had the crosshair behind her shoulder and, and uh, shot her. And she ran off and disappeared, but she crashed in about 30 yards. And then that other button buck was like just stomping around clueless and I shot it and dropped it all like right by the boat. It was one of those wet days where you can just like walking on pine needles that are wet. You can just sneak around and nothing hears you. It was like a perfect scenario, but she was bedded. They were all kind of bedded facing different directions, but she was bedded where she could see almost all the way around her. And I just, yeah. I just happened to have the perfect conditions and I was slow and patient enough where I didn't get picked off. I could have easily got busted that day, but, but she was bedded in a place where she could see you coming Mm -hmm. if you're, if you're not careful enough. Yep. Yep. And, 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 you know, if you were being hunted by things your whole life, you'd have that same survival skill. I mean, I think it's, I think, uh, you know, that area I told you about earlier that doesn't have any deer, it's probably got deer. The the difference is they're scattered. They're maybe not as concentrated. Um, You know, that that area is where I killed a doe last year. So I know there's deer over there. There's tracks. It's just it's, you know, sometimes there are areas that produce more sightings than others for a variety of reasons. But I bet you we walk past a lot of deer more often than we realize. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. And those swamp deer seem to have something to their advantage, too, just the way they're unpredictable. Mm-hmm. Like, I was saying earlier how the hill country deer have the hills to their advantage, and a lot of them get old. But um, those swamp deer, I think, are probably pretty similar as far as how well they can avoid hunters. Because, like, for example, last year, when, the first time I went to Mississippi and hunted in the swamp, like I went in the first evening and found deer bedded 50 yards from the road. It was like a doe or it was like two does and a buck buck or something like that. And, uh, I actually snuck up on them. They're on the bedded on the edge of a slough and, uh, snuck up, almost got close enough to get a shot. And they got up off bed and started feeding away from me. And they didn't even see me. They just got up and started feeding away from me. So I went in the next morning, didn't see any of those deer, but I've had one, big mature eight point come in by himself just kind of feeding around just cruising like 
not looking hard for does, but not feeding too much, just kind of, I don't know. He just wasn't doing much of anything, just kind of coming through the middle of the most wide open flat hardwoods you can think of. And I hunted that spot, you know, like that following evening. I don't remember. I may have hunted it the next morning too and didn't see another deer in there. Like they were, they were in there and then they weren't. Yeah. And like, I think those deer, like it was, it was a bow season. It was late bow season when I was in there and, and, uh, so there was no gun hunts going on. I mean, if I had had a muzzle loader on me, it'd been a dead deer, but, mm-hmm. but like, then again, when, if you go in there during muzzle loader season, it's, there's hunters everywhere. So the, those deer have, they're just un, unpredictable. Like they don't have the terrain to their advantage, but they've got the most monotonous woods and unpredictable nature mm-hmm. to their advantage. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and and I kind of I kind of want to use that pressure next year. I had plan I had these great big plans because in South Florida the the deer hunting pressure, uh, you know, well their season ends before ours does. So everybody, mi- I call it the Great Migration. Everybody migrates up here to hunt these areas as well, um, and so like the pressure just really increases up here. And I've always thought, okay, if you take this area where the deer are scattered, and you put hunters everywhere that's easy to get to you've now eliminated a whole lot of different areas. And so, um, I, unfortunately, I put out some trail cameras this year, and in one camera, to kind of see if that, that theory held true, in one camera, I forgot to turn it on. And the second one, I had one battery out of all eight flipped backwards. And so, <laughs> it obviously didn't work. So, I lost all that data from this year. But, um, and I obviously... Did you do that, or did some other hunter do that? Well, I mean... That's entirely possible. Yeah, I mean, I hang them pretty high yeah. and out of reach. But... I had, um, I've had two memory cards in the past year stolen. They didn't take the camera, just the memory cards. Well, maybe I hadn't thought about that, man, because I haven't had, I have yet to have someone mess with my cameras because of how high I hang them. But it's, it, I guess it's certainly possible. I didn't even think about that because the SD cards well, didn't even have me high, on there. If you hang them high, it, it may have been you. You may have made them. Yeah. Just messed up one of the batteries, but I I hang most of mine at normal trail cam height right. so people can get to them. I just try to put them in awful wall places, but if I sure. leave them long enough, like I left one last year through all of, I put it up late deer season and picked it up after turkey season. So it had been there for months and I guess somebody during turkey season found it and took the card out of it. And then just a few weeks ago, I pulled a camera that had been there for like a year and a half. And I was like, yeah, it was way back in there, so I had never gotten around to pulling it. I'd pulled the card a couple times in the past, but I had never pulled a camera. So I finally went. It had been months since I had pulled a card on it. And it had been sitting out there for about a year and a half. And I went and got it, and it still had battery left. And I looked, and there was no card in it. <laughs> like, well... Someone found it, which, I mean, given the location, it's not where everybody goes, but you leave it there long enough, mm-hmm. somebody's going to be there. That's right. Because it's not that hard. It wasn't that hard to get to. It's just a little bit of a walk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I've had that happen. I haven't had a camera stolen in years, surprisingly. Yeah, I've actually, I thought I had one stolen, and I searched all over this area, got it all on camera. And I had hidden it so thoroughly for myself that I was walking in like, I don't know, a week or two later. And 
caught the no glow or the low glow up in one of the trees. I'm like, somebody put a trail camera right here. I can't believe it. I, I lost mine. They must have stole mine, and I hit it with a light, and it's my trail camera. And I was like, oh, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about you, but I, I drop pins now. I, I guess, I mean, I've been using Onyx for two or three years. I don't remember when I got it, but um, it wasn't until the past year and a half. I guess back when I hung that camera a year and a half ago, was when I started dropping pins and I, I make all my trail cam pins are yellow. And Onyx has that little trail cam icon you can use. Mm-hmm. So all my trail cameras are yellow. So if I'm looking across, you know, all my pins, I can pick out, if I forgot about one, I can pick out the trail cams pretty easy. And I've still got one. I got to check that's up a Creek that is kind of a pain to get to because of the property lines. But I've got one left. I pulled all my cameras but one, and hopefully, uh, given the location, I don't think anybody would have got to it, but who knows? I mean, it's on a creek crossing, so if nobody messed with it, it should have some pretty cool pictures, and that'd be be some good intel. But you had said how you you leave cameras out, like, all season and go back and see, Mm -hmm. like, what the movement was. And, And I was talking about how there's places I've hunted a bunch over the years, and couldn't figure out because you know i got a the wrong mindset well i had a camera sitting all season from early bow season until two or three weeks ago and i went and pulled it and it was on video mode which is cool but um i love that i had all through bow season i had deer coming through there and i noticed it was almost entirely morning movement very little evening movement, and I still had daylight morning movement during gun season. Now, the movement tapered. It it went down during gun season, but I still had deer coming through there, and it's a pretty heavily hunted area. Like, I usually avoid it during gun season because of of the ag fields and the Mm -hmm. easy access. It's just a a place where people like to go. So I didn't didn't even hunt it during gun season, but I left that camera in there, and – I noticed that deer were coming through there in broad daylight, even during gun season, not as much as bow season, but I realized how much I had overlooked that spot. And the thing is going in the morning, if you go in there before daylight, you have to go through, I say have to, you maybe could get in like along like a a little back way, but it's so thick. I don't think you could, but you pretty much have to go through ag fields to get to it. Mm -hmm. And you risk bumping the deer that you might see, you know? So I don't even know if it's realistically huntable in the mornings, but knowing that Intel that I got from that camera, I may have to give it a little more effort this fall and see if I can get in there without bumping deer and see if it's actually good hunting in, in the mornings there. Cause, cause I was surprised at how much, how much morning movement was in there during the daytime. You know, trail cameras are not the end all for me. You know, if I put up a trail camera and I get a bunch of does on camera or small bucks, I don't rule out the fact that, you know, a big buck could have walked behind the camera. Um, but, man, I as I get more and more involved and, and I try and, you know, increase my odds in areas that are kind of low odd areas, I find myself acquiring more and more trail cameras just to, just to put eyes in the woods. I, I did the math one time with Chase, and and it came out to like three years worth of intel. And the idea behind it was, 
if you if you put out a trail camera in October and you pull it in January, you put it there in like September and you pull it in in, in December, the number of sits in which you had to have been there in order to just you know to to capture both the information you saw during the daylight and at night, which you can't obviously get because you can't hunt at night and never leave any scent in the area, fresh scent over and over again. It's like that that that's 3 years worth of looking in that one area uh for the for the for that time period and man when you start thinking about that you put out 20 trail cameras you you know you're getting 60 years worth of worth of intel if you leave them out for for long soaks now it might not be good intel but it's you know it's it's information yeah. that you know it, it'll give you like like a, a lot of people I've seen people talk online about trail cameras not saying they're cheating but like saying oh yeah well well I used to hunt before trail cameras and all this stuff like like trail cameras are some sort of an easy way to pattern deer which in some instances they can be an easy way to pattern deer but most of the time I'm just looking to see what's there and get a kind of an idea of the trend of movement I'm not looking for like like what day of the week that buck's coming in there because a lot of times the bigger bucks are not predictable like he'll show up randomly like that camera that I let soak on video mode there for the whole season I had an 11 point and I had him on a salt lake not too far away on another camera before season I had a bunch of pictures of him really nice 11 point not much mass but a big nice big wide tall rack heck of a good looking deer and on that camera that had all the, the morning movement, he came by, I think it was one night, maybe two nights during the rut, early rut, like cruising phase for that area, like when they're starting to look. And um, he came by at night. But then again, you got to remember that's a trail camera, not a whole area camera. You're, you're, you got it facing one deer trail. So like he could have walked, he could have walked behind that camera how many times, like, it just gives you like a like just a little bit of an idea to say hey there there are deer in the area maybe i should spend a little more time hunting it or like you know it'll give you a little bit of an idea of of what's running around the area but it's it's not going to tell you hey i need to hunt this on a tuesday afternoon on a cloudy day like it's not going to tell you when you should hunt in there but it'll tell you hey like are the deer using this trail is, are there good deer using this trail? Should I spend time trying to figure the spot out or not? Like, is it a, is it a, is it a spot that deer use a lot or, or is it a spot that only older deer use or a lot of younger deer? And I had mostly younger deer, but that old one that, um, I had a couple different older deer, real big eight point. That I never saw during the summer never got pictures of showed up several times on that camera, really big eight point. Yeah, it was a new new deer to me, and he was he was on that camera several times. Yeah, you know, in a state like Florida where the rut it varies so much, I mean, literally, you can drive ten miles, get off your truck, and the rut could be three weeks later. Um, in some of these areas, it's that intel can even tell you when the rut is, which is how I killed my my Florida eight point this year. Was I I did one of those long soaks, pulled the data, and said, okay. As of the first, about the first week of November, you start getting daylight active deer by, you know, middle third of, uh, first third of November, they're starting to fight. Middle third, they're starting to really, you know, cruise and bump does. Okay, I'm going to put in for those quota hunts. 
and as a result, I can target, you know, and, and know with confidence what I'm doing. Um, and, and it literally yeah. played out like a script. I know it won't do that every year, but it was one of those things where I was sold at that moment in November when it when it played played out that well. Um, and it told yeah. me there were no hunters in and that that's, area. That's the thing. Like, rut timing doesn't vary like people say it does. Hunter observation varies, but but those does, like, if the genetics are consistent, if, if, they're, if you hunt the same herd in the same spot, those does are going to come into heat around the same time every year. So if you got all that trail cam data from the last year where you could tell when, when the rut was picking up, then, then you can plan your future hunts on that. I think my favorite, my favorite trail cam pulls are like after the rut when I, well, I'll put them out like before the rut and put them on video mode and then pull them after peak rut and get all the chases and random bucks I've never seen before. Around where I live, I don't know if you see this, but I see a lot of older bucks like that I've never seen before show up after peak rut. Say that again? Like after peak breeding. Like after the the cruising phase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've seen a fair amount of that. After the... After the, the peak breeding, you know, lockdown when stuff was getting really hot and then all of a sudden you're not seeing as much because you know, the most amount of does are in heat at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then after that, there's fewer and fewer does coming into heat. That's when I see the most, like, random deer bucks I've never seen before. Like, I had one that I could have shot this year. I was filming, wanted to get it on video. I could have dropped my camera and just shot it but I, I wasn't a hundred percent. It wasn't a monster, but it was a good mature, mature buck. I should have shot. So I, I waited a little too long and he got out, got out of Dodge, but, but he came in after peak rut and, and never seen him before. He had a hole in his horn, like where they get that hole in their main beam mm-hmm. from a gall or, or some kind of bug or something. And he, uh, like never seen him before never got him on trail camera i had two trail cameras running in pretty good spots like within 50 yards of where i saw that buck and never got him on camera he was just there one evening and then he was gone Hmm. sounds like those um sounds like those uh what are they called the i'm gonna call them i'm gonna butcher it it's like the the roaming when they GPS track deer and they stay in their core range. And then like, as the rut dwindles yeah. down, they start making those big loops where they're out just like, you know, let, let me just double excursions. check. There are any ladies running around. It, they, I think QDMA calls those excursions. There you go. That's what it was. Every, they say every buck, every buck makes an excursion at least once during the rut is I think what they said. I'm paraphrasing, but but like every buck's gonna just take a trip at least once during the breeding season, and and I see that a lot of my place, and it, and most of the excursions like or bucks that I've never seen before are after peak breeding. I know they they say before before peak breeding is the cruising phase when the older bucks are up moving, which is true, but the when you when you really see the crazy stuff, the bucks you've never seen before the the older bucks acting dumb is after peak breeding when they're not ready to quit yet, but there's not many does left in right. coming into heat. So, <laughs> so that's when you, I think like late rut can be it's and it's all timing because you could miss it in the blink of an eye. But I think some of the, 
most crazy hunting you could have during the rut is after peak breeding. Well, it'll be interesting because I've got one trail. Mm, let me make sure this is true. Yes, I've got one trail camera remaining on a very unique funnel. Um, hopefully, it's still there. It could be gone. Um, it's it's a it's. It, I hang my trail cameras high for a reason because sometimes I do put them in obvious places. But um, yeah, you know. But it, it's been there since December. I haven't touched it. The rut should have finished up there in January into January. So I will go and pull that this weekend and report back to you. Cause it'd be curious to see if there's any kind of heavy cruising after that. And it's on video mode as well. Yeah. I love, I love those video, those, uh, trail cam videos from, from during like pre, uh, the whole rut, pre, pre rut, you know, cruising through the late rut. I love seeing all that. you like during the peak rut or right before the peak rut, you'll see a lot of chasing. And then, and then you'll see just like a random buck show up one <laughs> night, and that's the only picture you got of him. <laughs> yeah, no. that's that's the that's the kind of thing where if you know a good spot and you can get in and out without you know walking through a bunch of bedded deer or something, if you can just walk in and hunt that spot on a good wind consistently, if you hunted enough times, you'll kill a big mature buck. And it's not by skill more than being in the right spot and luck because you just showed up when you happened to be there. And, and honestly, that's where I struggle sometimes is having the patience to hunt a spot where I could see a big mature buck, like my, like in my backyard. Like I don't have a lot of older bucks spending much time on the, on the property I live on, but I do have a lot of older bucks pass through and it, I mean, you got to draw a line somewhere and say, Hey, I'm hunting here too much. The deer are picking up too much ground scent too much too consistently. And, and so it's, it's kind of hard to find that balance, but I was hunting a lot after work in the evenings this past season and I hunted it too much. Like I started seeing less deer activity because I'm sure they could, they would come out at night and smell that I was there and, you know, went a little more, a little more nocturnal on, on, on this one property at least but um i still did have that run in with that one older buck that i'd never seen before and you just never know if you if you get if you can get in and out of a spot you know undetected and you hunt it on the right the right days and just keep hunting it it's boring to me but that's that's a pretty good way to kill a good buck during the rut is to just hunt a good funnel a good area where they like to cruise through looking for does and just be patient. Yeah. I I can't, I I can't do that either. I kind of have to bounce around. Yeah. And and that's what I ended up doing because work got so busy. Like I was hunting the backyard so much because I, I get off work some days early enough where I had daylight left to hunt for 30 minutes or an hour, but I didn't have enough time to go out and hunt public during the week. And so I was just bouncing around late season from one spot to the next and I was getting some intel for next year. I definitely got some intel for next year, but, uh, I was not being able to stay in the deer because I wasn't out there enough to figure out what the deer were doing. So the time restrictions kind of got me there in the late season. But uh, then again, you know, I learned something and, and I know at least one or two spots that I'll go back next year during the rut that I should have hunted 
this past year during the rut. Just based on sign that I found, terrain features and buck sign that I found, it's like, dang, I wish I was here a few weeks ago kind of thing. So, I mean, yeah, it kind of sucked this past season, but, you know, I've got that in the back of my head. I'm, I dropped pins, and I even even without dropping pins, I know of a, a, a couple spots where I can go where I will remember to go back in during the rut this coming season. It's it, it, Do you do a lot of postseason scouting to in areas that maybe you didn't hunt to see if there's a rut sign? Because I did a lot of that this year, and some of my traditionally good areas were remarkably dry when it came to uh, good rut sign. Uh, sometimes, yeah, and honestly, at this point, um, I'm I'm finding that rut sign or deer sign while I'm scouting for turkeys or just like learning some new terrain. Which scouting for turkeys, I'm not, you know, it's not the same because turkeys move their winter and summer ranges or the winter and spring ranges, I should say, change quite a bit. But just getting out and walking around, I do a little bit of that. I should probably do more postseason scouting, but, um, yeah, that's, I mean, after deer season's a great time to get intel for next year. Mm-hmm. And, and you can see that you can see, I don't know about where you live, but here the, the most, the deer trails are most visible in the, like after season in the late winter, because the ground stays wet and all the leaf litter is finally settling down where it's not all fresh, crunchy leaves anymore. And, the deer trails really start to get stomped into dirt so you can really see where the deer have been going yeah we don't have i well i'm not going to speak with a like a wide sweeping brush but i tend not to find deer trails like that here because the the food sources aren't defined they do they, they do a lot of roaming they're very nomadic and so um yeah you know but what i do what i do end up doing gosh that's too many times you use the word do in a sentence but um I end up going to a lot of the funnels that I find on swamps, like two swamp heads come together and there's a patch between them. I'll, I can speed scout through that quickly. And you know, what did something leave a rub here or a scrape or not? Because, um, you know, our leaves really don't drop off the trees here. So if they made a scrape, it's still, it's still evident. Um, and if they didn't leave rubs and I just kind of like keep speed scouting through those areas. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, man. Well, we have rambled on for an hour and a half. I don't want to take up too much more of your evening. I, I wanted to. We we got in a really good role there, man. I, I was I, my emphasis on this was going to be turkeys, but we did such a good job back and bouncing back and forth. We're going to have to have you back on at some point in time, maybe maybe after a turkey hunt in Alabama or something. Uh, oh, and, sure. And talk turkey. I'd, I'd be glad. I'd be glad to come back on. I mean, we could talk. You know, we. We, we're pretty like-minded. I think we could talk hunting for several more hours, so I'd be glad to come back on another podcast if you want to talk more specifically turkey. Yeah, let's let's make that happen. I know you and I have talked about several different things that uh, we might get up and do from uh, maybe an alligator hunt to some other things. So, um, it, oh yeah, you know, but Chase and I are Chase and I are considering going ahead and swinging for that Alabama tag this year. Uh, just to add some extra content to everything. And, and so, you know, who knows, maybe we could do one of these in person. And if not, we'll just jump back on the phone. Sounds like a plan to me. Hey, it's good talking to you. Yeah, man. What Before you go, why don't you tell everybody where they can find your content real quick? So my main 
YouTube channel, my show where I post all my videos is Cat Mountain Outdoors on YouTube. And I've got an Instagram. It's at Catman529. My uh, Facebook, I think, is just Catman Outdoors. My website is catmanoutdoors.com. And um, I've got that's where I sell my merchandise. And I've got a, a little bit of stuff. That, that website is a very slow work in progress, but you can buy t shirts and hoodies and hats and decals and stuff there. And uh, I've also got an oak tree identification guide on there that I, that I, put together this past summer uh for those of y'all looking to narrow down your food sources but um also um got a tiktok so uh don't make fun of me but yes i'm on tiktok now and <laughs> you can find me there catman 529 outdoors i think is my handle on there but uh but yeah all right well hang on one second buddy i'm gonna wrap this up but i want to chat with you afterwards guys Thank you for tuning in again. I hope this conversation has 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 found you on a Tuesday or a Wednesday like we normally drop them, and uh, we brought you the outdoors like we always try to when you can't be in the outdoors. So no matter what you do this weekend or this week, do me one favor. Get outside and enjoy the great outdoors.